the Gucci girl, Prada professional, coach queen, or target trendsetter. No matter how you describe her, she's the most powerful consumer in the country. WebmasterRadio.fm presents Purse Strings. Join marketing to women expert Maria Ritan, president at Lola Red, as she chats with those in the know so that your business can grow. Now, please welcome our host of Purse Strings, Maria Ritan. Good afternoon and welcome to Purse Strings. I'm Maria Retan. Thanks so much for joining me today. You can catch Purse Strings right here every Tuesday at 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Each and every week, you'll learn how you and your company can corner the market on the most powerful consumer in the country. The 51% of us who control more than 80% of all the spending. The woman. Well, first up, time-shifted TV. We've all heard about it, right? None of us actually watch live TV anymore. Uh, Time-shifting is what Nielsen's been tracking for a long time now and will continue to track. According to Wayne Friedman in his article, Media Daily News, Time Shifted TV, um, he's saying that according to Nielsen, traditional TV time shifting is actually going down among younger TV viewers. Uh, DVR time shifted viewing time is dropping for those viewers 18 to 34 and 12 to 17 year old viewers. It's going down a couple of points. Um, 18 to 34 used to be watching time shifted TV around 24 minutes a day. Now it's down from 25 and younger viewers, those 12 to 17 year olds are down also a minute per day. This could just be a blip in the road. You never know. It's something that you have to keep your eye on to see if there's a trend. Uh, When it comes to those 50 and over, uh, those are up actually. And especially those over 65, they're watching 32 minutes a day. Uh, 50 to 64-year-olds and 35 to 49-year-olds are watching up to 38 minutes a day. So I don't know if we have more time on our hands um, or maybe there's just more things that we want to watch, but we're definitely consuming more time-shifted television. However, get this. This, I think, is the most surprising fact in the whole entire article. Nielsen is saying that time-shifted viewing among kids ages 2 to 11 years old is showing the most growth. The most growth around 22 minutes a day. We all know about kids and television, kids and screens, and the impact of that. That's for another day. Uh, but I just thought it was pretty interesting that we're seeing more kids than, say, um, young adults uh, watching time-shifted television. Our guest profile, I mean, our first profile today is the Gucci girl. She's a single woman in her late 20s, early 30s, fashion conscious, nearly 2 million of these women out there, college grad, single, employed full-time, no kids in the home, so they're falling right into that uh, young adults uh, who's, who's watching less time-shifted television. They keep up with fashion. Fashion magazines actually are their biggest uh, determiner of the clothes that they buy. They seek change in variety and style. They'll switch new styles out just because they want to, and they're the first among their friends to try new styles and also to shop a new store. They like to go shop even when they don't buy. They like to make a statement and stand out in a crowd. Uh, they want to get Uh, to the top of their career. They're very motivated. And what their family thinks of them is also a huge motivator in that. Um, And they love to entertain people in their home and have a a circle of close friends who, you know, impact what they end up buying and trying. So where are they purchasing? Nordstrom's, Neiman Marcus, Banana Republic are all big with this particular woman. They're driving Jeep and Nissan and Affinity 
And they're wearing Gucci. They're, after all, they're the Gucci girls. And Kenneth Cole, Calvin Klein, and Chanel are also big with her. So where can you find her? As I mentioned, magazines are very big with this particular demographic, Cosmo Glamour, in Style, Self, Vogue, all very big, as well as Shape and Entertainment Weekly. On Cable E, VH1, Bravo, HGTV, TLC are all very big as well. Well, my guest today knows a lot about probably the Gucci girl, knowing how social she is, but probably more than that. He's a Wharton professor, Jonah Berger. He's also the author of Contagious, Why Things Catch On. In fact, he spent more than 10 years doing research and gathering data to figure out why certain ideas and concepts catch on more than others. And in the book, he reveals the secret science behind word of mouth, and social transmission. It's really fascinating. He's going to be on the show to talk about his stepped principle, and you too can understand how to make your brand, your idea, your service more contagious. Stick around. Purse Strings returns after the break. Purse Strings will be right back after a word from our advertisers. InternetMarketingNinjas.com is the online dojo of the highly trained and skilled Internet Marketing Ninjas. Disavow documents, reconsideration requests, Panda and Penguin penalties. Let our superior SEO ninjas confront all of your link-related issues. The Internet Marketing Ninjas are equipped to master any marketing exercise, content creation, authorship, link building, PPC, and more. Plus, build more buzz for your brand with our social media marketing strategy. Discover all that the Internet Marketing Ninjas can do for you. Visit the online dojo now at internetmarketingninjas.com. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis. SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Her Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Retan. Welcome back to Purse Strings. My guest today is Wharton Professor Jonah Berger. He's the author of Contagious, Why Things Catch On. In the book, Professor Berger reveals the secret science behind word of mouth and social transmission. In fact, he's got six basic principles that drive all sorts of things to become contagious, whether it's a consumer product or a policy initiative to services and ideas within organizations. Um, And I'm really excited to have Professor Berger on today. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled to have you on. Your book debuted back in 2013, and I'm assuming Contagious has been contagious, right? Uh, you know, it has. It's been amazing to see how well the book has done and taken off, and uh, it's been exciting to help all sorts of companies and organizations apply the ideas. 
Well, and I know that it was a New York Times bestseller and named 2014's best marketing book by the American Marketing Association. So congratulations on that. Oh, thanks so much. Yep. And a fair number of books previous to yours has tackled the word of mouth mystery. I know word of mouth has been around for a very long time now. Everybody's been trying to to to, to bottle lightning, if you will. Um, why did you feel compelled to dive into the word of mouth uh, waters, if you will? And why did you feel um, it had remained somewhat maybe an unexplored topic or there was portions of the topic that you thought were unexplored? I think I, I jumped in here for, for two key reasons. One, uh, there was a lot of opinions and almost no data. Uh, so, you know, I would love to be a social media guru. Uh, apparently, all you need to be to be a social media guru is to have a theory and you just get to assume it's correct. You don't actually <laughs> have to collect any data, see whether it's true or not. Um, and there were so many sort of notions and opinions out there, but no one had actually put data to, to those opinions. Um, and so I spent the last 15 years studying this stuff. We've looked at thousands of pieces of online content. So we did a big study of the New York Times, what type of online content goes viral. Uh, we've looked at tens of thousands of brands and, and millions of purchases. And so really we can speak from data rather than just opinion. Um, have we nailed it? You know, do we know everything yet? Certainly not. Um, you know, there's much more to learn and this is a complex and exciting space, but we've at least learned something. And so I wanted to put the science out there to correct some of the misperception uh, and encourage people to, to get closer to what will actually be, be helpful. And, and then the second point is, is really that idea of misinformation, you know, so many of the notions and opinions that are out there were actually wrong. Um, mm. You know, there's, there's this notion when we think about word of mouth, it's all about online. Uh, it's all about Facebook and Twitter and blogs and online reviews. And yes, online is important. Social is important. But a very small percent uh, of word of mouth is actually online. Uh, people think it's 50% or 60%. It turns out only about 7% uh, of word of mouth is online. And so, you know, we need to think about offline word of mouth as, as well as online. And then, you know, another big misconception is the technology. You know, everybody's so focused on uh, Instagram this or, you know, Snapchat that or the newest technology and what it's doing. And we really need to think more about the psychology. Um, you know, we use these technologies, but if we don't understand why people use them, it's really hard to, to use them effectively. Um, there's a great cartoon uh, of a funeral that says, you know, uh, it's an empty funeral and someone says, you know, he had 2,000 Facebook friends. I was expecting a bigger turnout. Um, <laughs> and I think many brands and <laughs> many brands and businesses are just that. They were expecting a bigger turnout. You know, they have this notion that if we just collect online friends and followers, we'll be successful. And so I really wrote the book to say, hey, look, you know, there's some myths out there. There's some wrong information. To get it right, to be able to really use word of mouth effectively, we have to understand that underlying science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, some really critical points that you just talked about. I thought, I think the big, the big aha is that it's a really small percentage of online and it's really more offline. And the psychology behind why people are using these technologies is what's really critical. Um, if we think about word of mouth in general, whether you know, that's offline or online, um, it's expected to be a $6 billion industry in 2015. So it's a, it's a really big business and has the, the ability to impact even bigger business. How would you rank word of mouth related to, say, other marketing tools like advertising or public relations, which those of us in the industry, uh, you know, 
we we utilize the tools of our discipline. Uh, but at the end of the day, we we want to engage consumers so they are organically spreading our messages. So we're all trying to get to word of mouth. But talk, if you would, about advertising and PR and how it kind of ranks. Sure. Uh, you know, I think it's interesting uh, that the sort of the newfound focus on word of mouth. Word of mouth isn't new. It's been around forever, but there's sort of a new attention to it. Uh, you know, if we think about the last product we bought, the last restaurant we tried, the last service we used, we often find out about these from friends and colleagues, uh, people we know uh, rather than, than an advertisement. Advertising is useful. It's very good at creating broad awareness very quickly. Um, but, you know, a lot of research shows that word of mouth drives twice the sales uh, total sales of, of traditional advertising in all sorts of different categories. And indeed, uh, a bunch of academic research more recent shows that, you know, a dollar spent on word of mouth uh, and generating word of mouth goes 10 times as far uh, as a dollar spent on traditional advertising. Um, and so, you know, really, word of mouth is a very important tool that's been underused. Um, it's so effective for two key reasons. One, we trust it more. As you nicely pointed out, you know, we're much more likely to trust something our friends says rather than if we see something on television. As always say, a product is great, you know, the customer service is good, you'll enjoy the food. Uh, an ad never says, you know, uh, you'll hate the food or, you know, we have terrible service. And so because of that, they're not very diagnostic. We don't really know if the information is true or not. Whereas we can trust our friends. We can believe what our friends say. So that's much more impactful on the trust dimension but also with targeting, and I think this is often um, underthought about, word of mouth is much more targeted than, than traditional advertising. Um, advertising, digital advertising, has been much more effective than it ever has before at targeting people, um, at getting some sense of who might like something. But it's still tough to know exactly which consumers might enjoy a product or be in the market for a service. Word of mouth is much more, more targeted. Uh, you know, if you have a friend um, who uh, is talking about baby clothes, you probably have a baby. No one's going to tell you about a great website for baby clothes if you don't have kids. Uh, no one's going to tell you about a great place to go skiing if they know you hate skiing. Um, and so word of mouth goes almost like a searchlight or a social network to find the, the person or people that might find information most relevant. And no surprise then that, that uh, word of mouth creates 20% higher customer lifetime value than, than existing business. It's much more targeted. And so at the end of the day, combined with trust, is, is much more effective. Does that mean advertising PR dead? No, certainly not. Those are very useful tools that are part of the marketing arsenal. But word of mouth is a, an important tool that I think has been underutilized. Mm-hmm. And such a huge upside to your point. You, know, you talked about the ROI. Uh, you talked about customer lifetime value. All of those are things that that brands are really trying to get to, right? You know, no matter what the tool, they're looking for, how can I drive more ROI? In your book, you outline six steps, S-T-E-P-P-S, which you say make any content product or idea contagious. That's pretty bold, I think, to say I've got, you know, I've got this equation here and it's going to, you know, you put any content product or idea through it and it's, it, you know, it's, we're going to throw gas on the fire. Um, I believe you because you've done all the data research, but can you, can you explore just a few of those steps with us? I don't expect you to give them all because I want people to read the book. Yeah. Um, and, you know, uh, I'm, a, I'm a scientist. Uh, you know, uh, do, I, do I mean to suggest that I can guarantee 10 million views for a piece of content? No. Um, but what I can say is just like any other recipe, you follow these ingredients, the recipe will taste better. You know, we can say things like you add a, a dose of certain emotions to online content and it increases the likelihood that people share it by around 30%. So um, what's nice about having data and looking at across categories, 
didn't just focus on one category. So, you know, uh, fast-moving consumer goods or financial services or, or, you know, B2B. We really looked across categories. And again and again, we, we see these same six factors or, or steps. You might have thought, you know, well, it's random or, or luck, right? I really like the word to use, you know, bottling lightning. You have to bottle lightning to, to be effective. Um, but when you look at the data, these factors come up uh, again and again. And so um, just to pick a couple, you know, a simple one to start with is uh, social currency. Uh, and the idea of social currency simply is the better something makes us look, uh, the more likely we are to share it. Um, people share things just like the, the car they drive, or just like the clothes they wear. What we talk about and what we share is a signal of who we are. It communicates our identity to others. Um, and so no surprise then that, you know, online as well as offline, we talk about things that make us look good and that communicate desired identities. Uh, you know, people that are foodies love to talk about hot new restaurants. People that are into technology want to be the first one to know the, the hot rumor about the new Apple Watch. Um, you know, what we share is a signal of, of who we are. And so one way that brands can get people to talk about things is to give them desired signals. How can we make people feel like insiders? How can we make them feel smart, in the know, special, like they're not like everybody else? You know, it's not surprising that more remarkable, more interesting, more surprising content gets shared. Because when we share that type of content, it makes us look surprising, you know, remarkable, interesting. We all want to look interesting to those around us. Um, and so thinking about how to do that is, is really important. Some brands will say, well, hold on, you know, uh, I'm not remarkable. You know, I can't do that. You know, sure, if I was an exciting car or a, a really cool bar, I could get people to talk about me. Um, but, you know, they might think, well, I can't really, I can't really apply that idea. But we've seen all sorts of, of brands do it. You know, one of my favorite examples is the McDonald's sandwich, the McRib. Uh, so we all know the McRib. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, it's a really interesting story. You know, when it came out, it didn't do very well. Um, and so McDonald's did something interesting. They actually took it off the market. Um, and then they released it in certain cities at certain times of year. So sometimes it'll be in Denver. Sometimes it'll be in Detroit. Sometimes it'll be in D.C. And but never all the places and never all at once. And suddenly, people will go nuts for the McRib. So, you know, people will tweet, oh, my God, the McRib is, is in town. We have to go. Uh, somebody actually built a website called the McRib Locator, which is a map of the United States with pinpricks in it for sightings of a sandwich at McDonald's. So not a Loch Ness Monster, not a UFO, but a sandwich <laughs> at McDonald's. And so why did people share that? Well, they share it because it makes them look in the know. Right? McDonald's made them feel special different from others, like they knew useful information. And so they share it to their friends because it makes them look good. So that's, that's social currency. I'm happy to talk about others if you like, um, but that's just one of the, the six key mm-hmm. steps. Mm-hmm. And of all the six, and they're all individually powerful on their own, just like you, you described social currency, just a, a powerful concept. Um, is there one step that you think is the most important? Or, or is it when they all work in concert, they're the most powerful? Uh, that's such a tough question to answer. <laughs> uh, you know, I feel like it's a little bit like asking someone who has two kids, which of your exactly. kids you for. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but, you know, let me talk just about one more that I think is important, one that we don't often think of. Um, and that's the idea of triggers, the, the second one uh, in, in the framework. And um, to talk about it, I'll use an ad that many of us are probably quite familiar with. So, do you know the, the Geico ad for Hump Day with the camel in it? Yes. Uh-huh. Familiar with that ad? Yeah. So for, for your listeners who may not be familiar with it, uh, you know, in the U.S., Hump Day, people often describe Wednesday as Hump Day. It's the hump in the week you have to get over on the way to Friday. And this ad shows a camel walking in an office going, what day is it today, guys? What day is it? 
very annoying camel. No one listens to the camel. Uh, and finally comes across this poor woman who goes, it's hump day. The camel gets really excited, and, and the ad says, you know, how happy are people who save money with Geico? Happier than a camel on hump day. Um, this ad is funny. Actually, not that funny, but sort of funny. Um, but if you look at it, it's the second most shared ad of last year. Second most shared of all ads out there. Only second to the Dove uh, sketches ad that's gotten mm-hmm. so much attention. And so one question is, well, why did it so well? What about this content made people share? I'm a data guy, dug a little deeper. If you look at the data, there's an interesting pattern. There's a spike in shares, and then it goes down, and then another spike, and then it goes down, and then another spike, and then it goes down. You look a little closer, you notice that the spikes aren't random. They're seven days apart. And if you look even closer, you'll notice that they're every Wednesday, or as it's colloquially known, hump day. Mm-hmm. Right? That ad is equally good or bad every day of the week, but Wednesday rolls around, and it provides a ready reminder what psychologists would call a trigger to make people think about and talk about and share the message. Because if something's top of mind, it's much more likely to be tip of tongue. Too, too often as marketers, we think, well, does someone like us? Do people like us? If they like us, they'll purchase from us. But it's not just whether they like us, it's whether they're thinking about us or not. There was a, a great study done in the grocery store a few years ago that I talk about in the book where um, some scientists played different music on, on different days. Some days they played French music, and some days they played German music over the, the PA system. What they found was on, on days they played French music, sales of French wine went up. <laughs> and on days they played German music, sales of German wine went up. Now, was it the music that changed what wine people liked? No, people still liked the same wine, but the music reminded them of that type of wine, which encouraged them to purchase it. And so when I talk about it in the book, and I think one of the underutilized ideas in this type of framework is this notion of triggers. This idea of, hey, how can we link our product or our idea there's something in the environment so that every time people see us, they think about us or hear it, they think about us. You know, if I said peanut butter and, you know, if I said, right, or if I said rum and, you might think of Coke. Right. One thing reminds us of the other. It's almost like yeah. peanut butter is a little advertisement for jelly. <laughs> even though jelly's not there. Right, uh, exactly. Even though jelly's not there, thinking about one reminds us, triggers us of the other. And so how can we find our peanut butter? How can we find our trigger in the environment that reminds mm-hmm. people of us? It means we don't have to market to them as often. Every time they see it, they'll think about us. Mm-hmm. Is there um, a presupposition, though, that that brand already needs to be in the American psyche in order for the trigger to work? You know, does that only work with existing brands that maybe are more entrenched? Yeah, it's a very good question. Um, you know, creating triggers uh, isn't necessarily uh, just, uh, you know, hey, we just say we created a trigger and it's there. You know, peanut butter and jelly uh, have not always been peanut butter and jelly. In some other countries, you say peanut butter and, and people say, you know, banana or something right. like that. Jelly and peanut butter have repeatedly been paired together. That's why we think about them. But it's not necessarily harder to do with, with a new product or brand. We just need to create the linkage. Mm. You know, you need to repeatedly link those two things together. Um, you think about reusable grocery bags, for example, sort of a new behavior. One of the problems is that people don't think about it till they get to the grocery store. We don't right. use reusable grocery <laughs> bags, but we don't think about it until we get to the store and we go, oh, I need, I forgot my bag. And so to remember, we need to link it to something at home. You know, I, for example, I put them in front of the door so that I'm leaving, I see them, I'm more likely to pick them up. But linking them to something that's close to where that desired action takes place will make us much more likely to pick them mm-hmm. up. Mm-hmm. Good, good. Thank you for clarifying that. That that helps me a lot to try to figure out how to, to make the linkages, even if it's, you're a entrenched brand, a new brand. Or maybe not a brand at all. You're a thing, right? You're not branded, just like peanut butter. You don't have to be branded. Um, 
Stick yeah. around. Um, Professor Berger is going to join me again right after the break, and we're going to talk about celebrities and things going viral, things being contagious. Stick around more when Purse Strings returns in just a moment. Purse Strings will be right back after a word from our advertisers. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, so you know their SEO experts. But did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Introducing Rumble, the smart mobile management system, the first end-to-end mobile platform where you can make real-time app modifications from a point-and-click dashboard. Want to change the design of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the ad map of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Want to change the content mix of your app? Point-click, and it's live in real-time. Power your mobile business with Rumble. Are you ready to rumble? Visit www.rumble.me. Creating a website is not an easy task, and there are so many companies to choose from. How do I know which one is best? It's a big jump making your site mobile-friendly, generating sales, and answering questions with no struggles. If you want to come out on top, you need Frog on Top. At Frog on Top, we take the time to make your site generate money, not just look good. Our team of experts are WordPress savvy, and our customer service is leaps ahead. See why we say our websites are designed better by leaps and bounds by going to frogontop.com. Frog on Top, your one-stop solution for the web. Frogontop.com. Purse Strings is back with the inside track on today's women. Once again, here's Maria Retan. I've been talking today with Wharton Professor Jonah Berger. He's the author of Contagious, Why Things Catch On. And we've been talking about uh, word of mouth. You know, word of mouth is the holy grail. It's going to be a $6 billion business uh, this year. And as Professor Berger was sharing, it has 10 times the return on investment from advertising, 20% customer lifetime value over time. Um, trust, it, it uh, really drives trust and it's extremely targeted. Also, two reasons it's highly effective. And uh, Professor Berger, you've been talking about a lot of really great examples, all of them aligning with the six steps 
steps that you outline in your book that you say can really make any content, product, or idea contagious. And I'm just wondering what you feel about celebrities. You know, I get into conversations all the time with my own clients about the value of celebrity and things going viral. Um, And I'm just curious what you think about it and if you can explain the power of Kim Kardashian. (laughs) Uh, If I can explain the power of Kim Kardashian, I'd uh, I'd be even more successful. Uh, (laughs) You know, I think think brands have this notion, uh, particularly from sort of how marketing used to be, that celebrities are the way to go. Um, that, you know, people trust celebrities, uh, that it's a great way to get attention uh, for their product. Um, you know, uh, my favorite example of this, uh, you know, Joe Montana was in an ad, so famous 49er quarterback. Joe Montana was an ad for these sketcher shoes called Shape Ups. Um, and if, if your audience doesn't know what Shape Ups are, they're shoes that are supposed to tone your rear end. That is, you wear these shoes, and, and somewhat magically or through the power of science, you get a toned rear end. Well, imagine you see, you know, famous Hall of Famer Joe Montana in an ad for these shoes saying, you know, I love shape-ups. I use shape-ups. What would you think? And, and I remember the first time I saw this ad going, wow, things must be really bad in the Joe Montana household. He's got to owe somebody a lot of money because there's no way he uses these shoes. And I think that's sort of at the crux of it, the problem with celebrity endorsement. People know that the celebrity got paid. And so because of that, they're less likely to trust that information compared to when their friend does something or when a peer does something. You know, does the celebrity have a lot of reach? Certainly. You know, can Kim Kardashian using something make more people aware of it? Certainly. But it's just like an ad, right? Just like an ad, if you buy an ad on a, you know, uh, a show that has a lot of attention, lots of people are going to see that ad. They may not trust your message, but they're more likely to see that message than they would have otherwise. And so celebrities can certainly increase the reach of information, but it really doesn't make things persuasive. You know, if you think about it at the end of the day, I don't know who has the most followers on Twitter. Maybe it's Katy Perry or, or somebody like that. And, and some companies pay these stars, you know, $10,000, $20,000 to tweet about something. But if you think about it for a moment, you know, how many of us have bought something because Kim Kardashian said we should? How many of us have bought something because Katy Perry suggested we should? And I've asked people that question. I've asked large audiences of thousands of people that question. And you see a couple hands, maybe one or two, but very few people. And so while I think brands love to be associated with celebrities because they feel like it makes their brand look good and it can help brand equity, in terms of actually moving the sales needle, I don't think it's as effective as our peers. People are much more likely to believe something their friend says rather than a celebrity. And so rather than going after someone that has, you know, 10,000 friends, let's go after the everyday Joe's and Jane that have, you know, 100 friends. And those are going to be much more persuasive in, in driving sales. Mm-hmm. Thank you very much, because that's what I tell my clients. You know, uh, celebrities <laughs> celebrities are so expensive, and I've struggled with the return on investment for a long time, and I've just never seen it vetted out that they actually can sell product uh, and foster loyalty more than that, you know, foster loyalty around the brand. So thank you so much for confirming what I suspected <laughs> was already true. Um, now, Contagious came out in 2013, got a lot of traction over the last, you know, Two years, almost two years. Uh, now that it's been a couple of years since the book came out, is there anything you'd add in a, maybe an epilogue or maybe another chapter? You know, because so much happens in social. I mean, it, it changes all the time, every minute. There's always something changing. Is there anything that you would add now that maybe you didn't know when you published the book? 
uh, you know, I think like any experience, publishing a book makes you just more aware of what you should have done when you published the book in the first place. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, I've learned a lot along the way. Um, and I've had the opportunity, what's been so neat about the book, is I've had the opportunity to, to work with all sorts of companies and organizations. And that work has really, uh, you know, helped me understand how different groups apply the principles, um, as well as how to apply those principles to different sorts of businesses, from, you know, product businesses to service organizations to nonprofits to B2B. So I've definitely learned a lot along the way. I think, you know, some of the biggest things we've learned have been research that we've done since then. So mm-hmm. we've done work on, for example, how online versus offline shapes what people share. Uh, we find that online is a lot about uh, ideas like social currency. Online, we construct and refine what we want to say to look good to others. Offline, we don't have that opportunity. You know, offline is a little bit like the interview we're doing here. You ask me a question and, and I sit there in a conversation going, and I pause for, you know, 10 seconds or 15 seconds not answering your question, you sort of go, well, man, Jonah must have nothing to say or he must not be very bright. Uh, so there's really an, uh, an end to this in an offline conversation of filling that conversational space. But what that does is it makes us talk about whatever's top of mind. You know, why do we talk so much about the weather or sports or, you know, what we're doing this weekend? Not because it's interesting, but because we're thinking about it. So our research shows that offline uh, triggers are really important, whereas online, the idea of social currency might be more important. We've also done a lot of work around metrics. You know, one of the biggest uh, myths that I've seen, uh, one of the biggest problems with online is, is the wrong metrics. People think if I just, you know, accumulate followers, if I just get likes on my comments, my content, um, you know, that'll be enough. If I just get views, that'll be enough. And really, though, they've been disappointed because that doesn't drive engagement. That doesn't drive sales. And so a lot of the work we've been doing most recently and I've helped clients with most recently is around the right metric. You know, how can we measure better things that are more likely to drive and move the sales needle at the end of the day? Um, You know, when we create content, it's not just views we care about. We care about, well, how long do people read that content? Things like dwell time. How far down in the content do they read? When we talk about, you know, other types of content, well, it's not views, it's shares. You know, how do we make sure that people are actually sharing the content? And, you know, how do we control for the number of people that see it, right? If we have a choice, you know, I could feature content A or content B, how do I know which one to feature? Companies often say, well, whichever one has the most views or the most shares, but that's the wrong way to do it. Something that's at the top of your website, you couldn't get more views, and of course more shares, and something at the bottom of your website. But the content at the bottom of your website might actually be getting more shares per view. That'd be a more effective bang for the buck. And so really measuring the right metrics is, is quite important. Right. And I think it is such still a very much of an ongoing dialogue about metrics, to your point. It, because social and, and word of mouth, even though word of mouth has been around forever, in the context of social sharing, it's still fairly new. And I think companies are still struggling with how do I know that it's really working? And how do I know it's really getting traction? How do I know it's really... Um, sparking sales. And I, I think that the whole metric conversation will continue to evolve and grow. And, um, and some of the things that you talked about um, debunk, I think, some of the things that companies have felt for a long time. Maybe they weren't important, you know, time spent on page or um, likes or followers or things like that, which at the end of the day, those are superficial and maybe aren't moving the needle, maybe driving awareness, but maybe not driving true engagement to your point. So that leads me to my final question. Is there a contagious part two in the works? Or are you taking all this great data and research that you're doing? Or are you going to come out with another book? <laughs> 
Um, uh, yes, and it's going to be called <laughs> Contagious Err. Uh, you know, add an ER at the end, and it'll, it'll be better. Um, I like it. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> um, you know, I am working on a lot of new stuff uh, on my website. There's all the new research that we've done. Um, what's been so exciting is, you know, I sort of thought, well, I'd publish this book, uh, and six months later it would be over. And what's been amazing is um, these ideas are getting just as much, if not more, attention today than they did when the, the book came out. Uh, and what's made me so happy is to see, uh, you know, how much word of mouth uh, true to form that the book has got. How many organizations, oh, you know, my CMO gave it to all of us to read. And so it's taken a little while, but I think these ideas are really diffusing. And so, you know, even today, I still work with a lot of folks applying these ideas and some of the new research um, we've done. There will be a new book. Uh, I'm working on it at the moment. Um, and so it will be exciting applying some of these ideas uh, to some of the stuff that we've learned since then. Um, but at the moment, I have, you know, more than my hands full uh, <laughs> with helping people apply the science of contagion. Yeah, no, exactly. Your book was so contagious. You can't get out from under it, right? The work just continues. Well, <laughs> congratulations on the wild success of Contagious. Congratulations on the next book that we can anticipate coming out at some point. And in the meantime, uh, for the listeners out there who want to learn more, uh, Jonah Berger has his own site, jonahbergerberger.com. You can um, also get the book there. You can find the book everywhere, by the way. And um, learn Learn more about Professor Berger and his work. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been really fun. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's a great conversation. And thanks to my producer, George. And join me right here next week for another edition of Purse Strings, 3 o'clock Eastern Time. Until then, make it a great one. This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program, as well as our complete library of programs, on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.WebmasterRadio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of WebmasterRadio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited.